The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Excuse me. I was invited here and I had a choice to make. Either I was going to figure out how to give a three-point sermon and you guys would be comfortable or I'd have to teach you how to be Central Asian, and then I would be comfortable. So I decided on being comfortable. So now you guys get to learn how to be Central Asian. Uh, picture yourself in this picture. So some of the things you need to realize is, um, in much of Central Asia, a group of Christians this size would be put in prison. So it's not really an option to gather like this in this size. So, the, that's the size of a room you have to imagine yourself in. Um, the person that's leading the group has probably been a Christian for less than a year. Um, so you really can't rely on the wisdom that's going to flow out of their mouth. So thankfully, I'm in this position where I don't have to know much. Um, and, uh, and you can't have a Bible for our Bible study. So if you have a Bible, put it away. Um, because basically you'd have to go to jail. So, uh, so how do you have a Bible study without a Bible? Well, that's my problem, and I'll teach you. But for right now, you need to learn how to pray. And so, in our culture, you remember you guys are Central Asian now, in our culture, the amen comes at the beginning. Uh, so it's amen at the beginning, and your hands go out like that, and sort of the view that the Christians in Central Asia have is sort of the blessings of God are coming down in your hands while you pray, and then at the end, when you say in Jesus' name, then you sort of anoint yourself um, with that blessing. And th there's an important point here. You sort of pause and ask yourself the question, is this our community prayer or is that his prayer? So there are times when you'll be with somebody who prays a certain way and you're like, mm, no, I don't quite agree. And so this is your big opportunity to, to, to reflect on. Sometimes I wind up thinking about sports while people are praying. Um, and, and so this is also a good time to say, okay, what did we really pray about? And do I agree? So that's your big chance. Uh, and, then, and then you're done with the prayer. One more point about our cultural prayer here today is our eyes are open. So... Um, it's okay if you search the scriptures, you'll find there are examples in the Bible of people who prayed with their eyes open. So it's going to be okay. Uh, so we pray with our eyes open. And the notion is there is a right time to go in a closet and pray where no one can see you. But today we're praying in community. And our eyes open as we see each other is we're not pretending we're in a closet today. When we shut our eyes from, from the Central Asian point of view, when the Westerner comes amongst them and shuts their eyes during prayer, it's like saying, I'm not really with you. But today, we're not going to do that. Today, as Central Asian people, we're going to keep our eyes open. All right, so now we're going to try this out. Amen? Father, we thank you for your presence here among us. It's such a relief to know that you can hear us when we're uncomfortable 
in our prayer posture. By faith, we believe today, and this weekend has been remarkable. We've seen viruses that are spreading around, trying to end lives early. We've seen natural disasters, volcanoes and earthquakes. Then we've seen crashes out in the middle of a field somewhere. Father, even in this next 24 seconds of silence, calm our hearts. Father, we believe that you're in charge of the entire world and that nothing happens outside of your allowing it to happen. We believe your presence is here with us. We believe that the ancient words that we're going to study today are living and active that they are able to guide us. We pray that with your spirit, you'd be here today. And you'd protect us from looking at this as an interesting experiment, or we pray you'd protect us from evaluating the efficiency of the methodology. And that somehow, through all of that, You'd speak clearly. In Jesus' name. All right, so now that you guys are from the Central Asian group, um, the, the beautiful thing is you're an oral culture and you can memorize things like that. So... I am going to speak out today's Bible passage one time, and you're going to like picture it in your mind like a, like a movie. And in the process of, you're not going to listen to the words, listen to the ideas, picture it like a movie, and you'll memorize it in one shot. And then one of you guys is going to volunteer to speak it back to everyone else. That's the, that's the way we roll here in Central Asia. So... The story goes like this. Jesus appointed, uh, he appointed 72 others. And he sent them out two by two into all the towns and places where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers, the workers are few. Therefore, 
pray. Y'all pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his own harvest field. Now, go on your way. I'm sending you out like lambs. I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. So, don't take your money bag, and don't take your backpack, and don't take your sandals. And along the way, don't stop to talk to anyone. Now, when you first enter a home, say, peace be upon this house. Now, if there is a person of peace in the house, then your peace will rest upon them. And if there's no person of peace in, your, in the house, then your peace will return to you. Remain in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For a worker is worthy of his wages. Now, do not go from house to house. So that's our story for today. So now one of you guys is going to start off the story by saying, Jesus appointed 72 others and then get everything they can remember. So I just need the volunteer now. Perfect. If we can give this man the microphone. Now, you cannot help him at all. Just whatever comes out is great. Jesus appointed 72 others. Okay. I already forgot the first detail. <laughs> All right, Jesus appointed 72 people. Whatever you remember, just say it. Whatever you forget, everyone else will remember in their own mind. Okay. He appointed 72 people, and he looked at them and he said, if you look out, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Um, do not take your money. Do not take your bag. Do not take your sandals. <laughs> and on your journey, do not talk to anybody. <clears throat> uh, your peace will go with you, and if you go to a house... Of peace, your peace will rest there, and if it is not a house of peace, there's no one of peace, then your peace will return to you. That's all I got. <laughs> Praise the Lord, there was somebody with courage here. Sometimes that little bit takes a half hour. Okay, so at the beginning, Jesus, what, was, what did Jesus do to those 72 people? 
He appointed them. So Jesus appointed 72 others. And then what did he do to them? And where did he send them? All the towns, which towns and places? Ah, the ones where he himself was about to go. So Jesus appointed 72 others and he sent them out two by two to all the towns and places where he himself was about to go. And then when he first addressed these 72, he starts off by telling them what? The harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers are few. Therefore, we need to get up earlier and work later. What was his solution? It might have been different. Ah, therefore, y'all 72 that I just appointed and now I'm talking to, those that are going, y'all need to pray. What are we going to pray for? We're going to pray for workers. And where are the workers going to go? Into which harvest field? into his own harvest field. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his own harvest field. And then he said, go on your way. I'm sending you out as lambs, not even sheep. Lambs amongst wolves. So he gave three ways they're going to become lambs. Number one, don't take your money bag. Another one, Don't take your backpack. Don't take your sandals. And then he says, along the way, avoid something. Don't stop and talk to anyone. Along the way, don't stop and talk to people. Now, when you arrive to the house, the first thing you do, you say, peace be upon this house. And now you're supposed to be watching for something. You've said, peace be upon this house. What are you watching for? A person of peace. How are you going to know if there's a person of peace there? Your peace is going to rest upon them. And if there's no person of peace, what's going to happen? It's going to come back to you. All right. What are you supposed to be doing while you're in the house? eating and drinking, whatever they give you, what's the justification for that behavior? The worker is worthy of his wages. And last but not least, one bit of instructions, do not do something. Do not go from house to house. So on this occasion, this was Jesus's strategic guidelines for these 72 people. So I want to go back to the beginning of this story now. What is the first action that Jesus took? He appointed how many? He appointed 72. Now, he appointed 72 particular people. What alternative did he have? What could he have done differently? He could have called for volunteers. So Jesus could have said, is anybody willing to go? How might that have been different? (laughs) (laughs) 
I reckon maybe he wouldn't have got the 72 or maybe he would have, maybe there would have had to been a negotiation. Well, what are you going to, what exactly are you going to tell us to do? He would have put it on their terms. Okay, so Jesus, the first thing he did is he appointed 72 others. And what was his first instruction to them? What was that? To pray. What alternative did he have? What, what could have been his first instruction? What's that? <laughs> Get up earlier, sleep later. A strategic decision was, was made on Jesus' part to clue them in right from the get-go that this is a, spiritually, a spiritual need, um, an, overwhelming, an overwhelming task they're clearly not up to. Let's talk a little bit about the relationship between a lamb and a wolf. Uh, just describe to me that relationship somehow. Bloody. Who said bloody here? <laughs> it's bloody. <laughs> so in that relationship, um, who gets more satisfaction? Now, I reckon the relationship is more satisfying for the wolf. Who has a troubled heart in that relationship. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, I'd, yeah. Hmm. So in this relationship between a lamb and a wolf, now give me, give me some words to describe the emotional state of the wolf. What's that? Hungry, that something about being in this relationship with the lamb stirs up a hunger in him. Some more. What's that? Satisfaction. satisfaction. This is a very satisfying relationship. Pardon? The lamb. <laughs> well, no, we're, we're talking about the wolf right now. We'll get to the lamb in a minute, but... How about fear? Does the wolf have a little bit of fear? Not a lick. Okay. How about anxiety? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, dominance. He's aware of his power. How about the lamb now? Now, how does the lamb feel? It's, the lamb does not feel satisfied, perhaps. Fear, some, some fear in the lamb? Vulnerable? <laughs> Could be ignorant, but in this particular case, um, they're, they're walking into it eyes wide open. What's that? I, anxious. There's an anxiety. The, the, the lamb likely has some anxiety. Okay, so now we've got, who are all the characters in this story? Give me a list of characters in this story. Jesus, the 72. What was that? The people in the house, right? 
You went into the house. The people along the way. What was that? The Lord of the harvest. Person of peace. <laughs> the person that's not a, the house with no person of peace. The workers of the harvest that are going to follow. So, um, in this scenario, who is meant to represent? Like, we're, he's sending them out as lambs amongst wolves. So, which of these characters is the lamb? Will be the 72. And which one's the wolves? What's that? Well, they're not really mentioned so far. The people along the way could be. Well, when you walk into the house, do you know whether or not there's a person of peace there? Right? Jesus specifically says you don't know if there's a person of peace there or not, right? Because you have to watch and see because maybe yes, maybe no. So as you walk into this house, I think maybe Jesus is saying you're a lamb amongst wolves. Now my question for you is, who is ministering to whom? The lamb is ministering to the wolves. In what way? What does the lamb bring to this relationship? What was it? The peace. What peace? Where does the peace come from? Peace of Jesus, right? So they're sent out with the peace of Jesus and they minister to the house by offering the peace of Jesus. Is that the only ministry relationship that, is that the only ministry that's happening? What other ministry is happening here? The, the wolves are feeding the lamb. What was that? So there, these people that the lamb is trying to give the peace of Jesus are, are providing for his needs. Who's the stronger one in this relationship? Or maybe, maybe we should say it this way. In a normal human context, when these two people come together, without the spiritual element considered, who would be reckoned as stronger? The, the people in the house, right? Right? The people in the house that are providing for the needs of the lamb would reckon themselves as more powerful than the lamb. I haven't quite decided, was it responsible behavior for Jesus to send them in this way? I mean, he's supposed to be like a shepherd, I think. Something like that, I heard. So you got a shepherd sending his lambs amongst wolves. Does that feel right? 
suppose, what, what alternative did Jesus have to the lamb amongst wolves scenario? What could he have said instead? Strap on a sword. I mean, I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but these people have a money bag. What he didn't, I mean, he said, leave your money bag at home, thereby stating they have one. You can't leave something at home that you don't have. So there's an intentionality. It's not that they have no choice but to go in weakness. They're being instructed as a strategic decision to make themselves weak in this relationship. So there's a, a strategic decision in mind to say, I will make myself vulnerable to those whom I'm trying to give the peace of Jesus to. If they would have gone with a group of 36 all to one house, or if they would have had plenty of money to stay at the inn, what, what might be different in that relationship? What's that? They wouldn't be relying on Jesus. They also wouldn't be relying on those that they're trying to need, those that they're trying to reach. That there's something in this where Jesus is instructing them to be vulnerable to the point where they don't have any reserves. They need the people they're trying to reach. And this is a strategic decision. Can you think of any reason that Jesus might tell them to do that? Pardon? So he wants them to learn to depend on Jesus. He also wants them to learn to depend on the people they're trying to reach. And just in, let's, let's, this is a spiritual matter, but let's go away from spiritual, and let's just think in terms of humanity. Um, as, we, as we experience people, if we, have a, if we bring a lot of power to the relationship, what's their natural tendency? To defend themselves. And if we come to people needing their help, sometimes they will eat us. but they won't get scared. They won't protect themselves. So Jesus was creating a dynamic in this home for whatever reason. <laughs> That's a submarine collision alarm. These things can go on a long time. Uh, somehow I have to fit my Central Asian church service into a, um, into a room here, but you know, the reality is a lot of our conception of ministry has to do with what I can offer this homeless guy. When, when I come across a homeless guy in the street, he obviously needs a hand warmer and a hot cocoa. And so I can take from my resources and I can give him a hand warmer and a hot cocoa 
and minister to his human need. And I can be comfortable because I don't need anything from him. I'm satisfied in our relationship because I have served his human need without making myself endangered. I can be a doctor that goes to serve in Niger and I can serve the human condition and their, and their needs for medicine and that's good but there's potential that I could do it in such a way that I would never actually have to worry about them hurting me. I don't have to be vulnerable when I come from a position of strength and not needing that person. This is a valid form of ministry, taking of the things the Lord has given you and giving them to somebody else. There's a different form of ministry which is me needing you. Does anybody have a quick story where they have seen in our modern times a case where somebody really needed uh, where a Christian that had the peace of Jesus really needed a non-Christian that did not have the peace of Jesus. And through that neediness, Jesus was made known to the one who was stronger. Anybody, I'm not looking for a story from a book, any personal experience. It's a bit of an on-the-spot question. I've given her a microphone here. Just. Um, this past summer, I was climbing a mountain, and my dad needed our guides. Like, there was a point in time where we all needed oxygen at one point, and um, so, especially my dad, he had to rely on our guides. Like, he needed them. They had everything that he needed to continue on. Um, so, like, he's a Christian and had to rely on these people that um, we actually weren't sure what their faith was. One of them we were sure, but, um, yeah, we weren't so sure what their faith was. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> so do, did these people know that your dad was Christ, uh, believed in Jesus through this process? Yeah, yeah. We had asked them. We spent a week with them, and they knew where <laughs> we were coming from and had asked them a lot of questions and... And what's your dad's name? Yeah, Trent. Trent. Lord, we thank you for Trent's willingness to put himself in a situation where these people knew that he needed them. And we pray that something in that would make you known to them. So I was recently in Niger, um, and I, I shared the same story with, uh, with a group of people there, and there's... One of our, um, one of the teachers at our local school there. Uh, so in Niger, it's less than one percent Christian, and there was a um, uh, 
a time about five years ago where the Muslim folks were burning all the churches and they were starting to go after the Christians individually. And this, this one young lady and her mom and her dad went running over to this government official's house in their neighborhood and hid out in their basement and this government official protected them. Now this government official was a Muslim man housing a Christian family um, because they needed him and they expressed their need. And they were there inside of the home being protected by this Muslim government official while there was mayhem in the streets. And it turned out there was a no, maybe three or four families that wound up there. Um, and through that relationship, um, this government official and his family decided to believe in Jesus and follow him. And uh, it's really, to me, it's just like the story where there's this weak family that is at the mercy of the wolves, being protected by one of their own. And something in that relationship, something in that vulnerability and that uh, opportunity to snuggle up to the wolf, if you will. The lamb can come close and snuggle up with the wolf because there's no danger to the wolf. And in that close snuggling, Jesus is made known. It's a different kind of power, my friends. Amen. Father, here we are praying with our eyes open and our hands out, believing that there's a different kind of power that we have access to, that our community here has a chance. Let us see those around us that we can need in the name of Jesus.